Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. It is only what is ultimately real and true that can satisfy the inner core of your being. And for those of you that are new, I just want to point out that I have on my website at ultimatemeaning.com a flipbook where I have very original writing done through myself by the gifting of the Spirit of God. It also has highlighted in red print links to many YouTube videos or videos from other sources that are very profound and amazing videos. And so I invite you to check that out. And you will discover the ultimate meaning and purpose for your life and for the reason for which all things exist. And what is that? It is love. The ultimate perfection of love. The ultimate manifestation and perfection of love. Who is the one true eternal God. And yes, there are those that say they don't believe in God, but the evidence is all around them, including their own conscience. Don't sear your conscience. And the evidence is all there in science, too. But you've been lied to with pseudoscience. And so that's another thing that's in my flipbook there, is all this genuine science that shows how big a lie this theory of evolution is. And so if, let's say it was true, hypothetically, if you apply that to an infinite past, you should have the maximum result of evolution since everything's evolving to higher order. The ultimate order. And there's no description that it would be greater than what I'm about to describe, which would be and is the ultimate order. And far more than just some mere superintelligence. The very source of reality is love. God is love. This love is always choosing the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so pure in its integrity that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. This is the defensive aspect of this love. It is the very antithesis of corruption, the very opposite of corruption. And of course, the reason governance in this world falls apart is because those that are leading are corrupt. But this is a government that shall never end. It is the very source of a destiny that we know as heaven. And I'm writing a book on that. In-depth research and the scientific evidence is irrefutable from particle physics from so many sources. But I'm not here at this moment to talk about that. So that's one aspect of this love which is represented in the negative symbol, which is a symbol that represents an indestructible foundation and also represents cutting off all corruption. And from that foundation springs forth creativity without corruption, which is discovered in our ultimate destiny, which is in heaven, 
with the family of God and the myriads of angels and of many varieties of creation that we have not even known, that worship before God and we will worship there as well. And we will find our ultimate fulfillment and pleasure in that worship. And I wish I could describe heaven here. It's so amazing because I'm writing on it. And I've written on so many people that have been highly verified as dead by medical equipment and doctors, some for almost two hours, some for three days. Usually those by three days, well, that's even more of strong verification. But I'm here to share about this love. So that's the first aspect of this love, the defensive aspect of this love, symbolized in the negative symbol. But other that springs forth God's love that is so great that he had always in the quality of his being from the eternity past, from the infinite past, that quality that could take judgment upon himself for us, the mere creature. I mean, how could God be good if he did, if he created us without destiny? And yet the dilemma is, if you're going to create beings that are not robots, that have the capacity to love, they must be the source of their own action. They must have free will. And of course, when you have free will, there's the potential to make choices contrary to this love, to take on a hell-contagious, destructive state of being. But God's purpose is so great. Its ultimate purpose is that there should be you as an individual and corporately people from every background and tribe and nation, it doesn't matter, all coming into reconciliation with God because he took judgment upon himself. Yes, God is so great that he can condescend to this little speck of a planet which is like a grain of sand in the midst of all the grains of sand in this world, and communicate on this little planet with us mere human creatures. He did that to Abraham back in Genesis 18. You can read there in the Bible that Abraham was with his face, I think, before just sitting in the door of his tent in the heating heat of the day, and he looks up and there's three men standing before him, probably about 10 feet ahead of him. He runs to them and he says, I want to make you something. And he tells his servant to get some food ready. And they have a wonderful meal and he talks with them. And he dresses one of them, three, as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God, the one true God. It's also known as Jehovah, but it's more accurately pronounced Yahweh. That's another topic. So there you have the one true God eating with Abraham. Yes, that was Jesus Christ in the flesh before he came. In incarnation into this world through Mary, through the blood that came from God that was conceived in her womb by the Spirit of God. And so God poured out his blood on the cross for you so that you could be reconciled to God. He suffered more than you, a mere creature. He humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. And so I am here to share with those that have been reconciled to this one true eternal God through Jesus Christ. 
And some people believe Jesus Christ is a mere creature or an angel. That's not true. Let me give you an understanding of what we believe. We believe in one true eternal God in three personages. Because it takes three personages to be able to be the one true eternal God. Because you must rule in and over the three ultimate aspects of existence synonymously. And so you have God the Father. There's the, what are those three ultimate aspects of existence? They are beyond creation, beyond time and space in creation, and filling all dimensions of time and space in creation. Those are the three ultimate aspects. God the Father beyond creation. The Son is the full expression of the Father into the creation realm to communicate with the creation. And the Holy Spirit is the third personage in omnipresence filling all dimensions of existence within creation and beyond creation and if you weren't a personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence you couldn't rule over them and so yes it is wonderful to know and there could be no love that is greater than the love i'm talking about or that could be imagined that is greater or that could exist that is greater this love, who is who God is, is the ultimate trustworthiness, only worthy to contain unlimited life, unlimited power and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way. And this is indicative that he is the very source and therefore only who the one true God, the one true eternal God could be. And that is who I am sharing about his name in the Old Testament in the original Hebrew is Yahweh, the Almighty's, if I'm to say it literally, the ultimate reality, the Almighty's, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the word Elohim. It's usually Lord God in English, but the word Lord is Yahweh, and God is usually Elohim, the Almighty's, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm here to share with those that have been reconciled to the one true God through out the United States, especially in this time of crisis and in Canada and around the world in this time of such serious crisis, where the economies of the world are on the verge of collapse, where we've had communists take over and steal the election in the United States, where COVID has been used and people are dying left and right from the vaccinations a distinct plan to reduce the population of the earth. And if you don't think it's true, check out the facts. I have them on my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There's links right there on the homepage to the best news sources, and they check their facts out. Unlike the lying news media infiltrated by the Chinese Communist Party for the last 30 years, and by the globalists that are in alignment with them, who now almost continually lie to you and often are saying the very opposite of what is actually the truth. I want to share with you what I received today by the casting of lot. Yes, I cast lots to get to the possibility of any chapter in the Bible, and I do it with two independent random applications to get any possible chapter. But by God's providence and power, it's not coincidence. These chapters confirm each other and bear witness with each other each time. Sometimes it's harder to detect the theme, but it's always there, and it always amazes me. 
And so I'm going to preach after just meditating on these chapters for a half an hour. I'm going to preach, not knowing what I'm going to say. Why? Because the Word of God commands us in 1 Peter 4.11, it says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. This is further explained in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is out of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, in great reverence and humility and love for God, that we are filled with His Spirit in an overflow that is beyond ourselves, that can result in creative utterances, that are coming from the Spirit of God. And so we are to seek to prophesy. We are to seek to speak out of the Spirit of God as the oracles of God. And so that is what I am seeking to do here, to speak out of a heart set and mindset of worship as I give this message without preparation. Before we do that, I also choose a worship song, so I want us now to enter into worship with this song that I've chosen, which fits in with the theme that has been brought forth in this message. Joy of 
remind the song of songs to me. that a wonderful song one of my favorites for sure uh, such a this is life abundant brothers and sisters Christ came to give life and to give it more abundantly and this life can be experienced in the midst of the greatest trials we can know in that suffering fellowship with Christ he has said that we would be partakers also in the fellowship of his sufferings. And there are many brothers and sisters as never before being martyred more than ever before in the history of this world for the name of Christ. Going through great trials, but in it they know an intimacy and a relationship with God. Not that there isn't times when you go through the valley, the dark valley, and you don't sense his presence. But there we learned to exercise our spirit, our soul, in a trust that learns to rest. And have peace in the midst of the storm so that we can command the presence of God in the spirit of his peace to cause the storm to become a call. And I want to share with you the two chapters I received today. I received Song of Solomon, chapter 1, first. And then when I used the second application, I received Isaiah 50, and these two chapters indeed dovetail with each other. And so I first of all want to read, I believe in this case, Isaiah, starting at verse Four. We read, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious. And that's a real secret. If we are going to hear what God is saying to us and have intimacy within him, our lives are brought to a place where we are broken from our own stubbornness because we choose to be. We allow our rebellion to be subdued that we might hear the love of God speaking to us. Neither turned away, and I didn't turn my back. I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. 
speaking of Christ when he was crucified on the cross. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God, which is, in this case, Adonai Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Lord Almighty's, will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together, who is mine adversary. Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God, Adonai Yahweh. I should say Adonai um, Elohim, the Almighty's, will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth Yahweh, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of Yahweh and stay upon his Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks that ye have kindled, this shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. Now I want to point out that in Isaiah 50 here, the beginning of this chapter it, um, has a, um, some important things that I think I need to point out. So I want to just point this out here too. Thus saith the Lord God, beginning at verse 1, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? In other words, he's saying, I didn't give you a bill of divorce. And I didn't sell you for money. Behold, your iniquities have sold yourselves. You have sold yourselves because of your iniquities. For your transgression... For your transgressions is your mother put away. God is describing himself as desiring and his heart breaking for a love relationship with Israel as a corporate people to be his bride. But they have transgressed. They have chosen to divorce themselves from God. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot say? It says here, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness, their fish stinketh because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. What God is saying here is that why didn't you turn to me in your trial? I would have delivered you. Do you think I couldn't deliver you and redeem you from that situation? Why did you panic and go to Egypt? and fall prey to the idolatrous gods of Egypt and the idolatrous gods of the Babylonians. Don't you realize I'm the one that judges all things, that can bring destruction to those nations that are idolatrous, 
I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, and that's where we left off. From the, That's what God is saying in this passage. He's saying, I'm wanting you to come to a place where you're not rebellious, where you can hear my voice as a lover speaking to you. When you can hear me calling, he points out, and this is God speaking. He's saying, I, the I is referring to Yahweh here, the Almighty's. And he's saying, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. Yes, I didn't hide my face from shame and spitting. For, yes, the Lord God will help me refer. This is Yeshua. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Yahweh. His name is also Yahweh, as well as the Father, as well as the Holy Spirit, because that is the very spirit and the being of God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth, and that spirit is this love, this quality of love, this personage of love. Yes, ruling in three personages and the three ultimate aspects of existence. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God. And communing with each other. And so the Son communes with the Father and has a union with the Father that even when he was on the cross, and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because of the pressure of it all, you need release. But he wasn't in rebellion with a fist before the Father. He was totally in a selfless trust. In fact, he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was in a state of selfless trust with no corruption in his being on the cross. He was always totally God in the flesh, even when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He experienced the forsaking of God's presence, but not the breaking of union with the Father. He was always trusting and reciprocating in communion with the Father, even on the cross when he didn't feel anything because of the judgment he was experiencing. There was a state of selfless trust in the Father. When you open your hand, it represents selflessness from a fist which represents the opposite. And there he was. That's why it says in Romans 1, 4, that he rose from the dead by the spirit of holiness that was in him. It doesn't say was in him there, but that's what it's referring to. There was no ground for the enemy to hold him in death because he had a quality in his being that was the very antithesis of corruption, a love that was never broken that was confirmed in his resurrection from the dead. And so we go now to the Song of Solomon, which is such a beautiful song. And so we go, I want to read this. There's so much wonderful meaning in this Song of Solomon. I think I just have to go there and read the whole chapter. So I'm turning there right now. Whoops, we got... Sometimes this thing takes me the wrong way. It's electronics, you know. There we go. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. 
Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. What is this saying? This is saying, let God kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. His mouth is filled with life. It is filled with love. And yes, he wants to kiss us. Why? Why do we want God to kiss us? Because his love is better than the loves of this world. The wine represents the loves of this world. Brothers and sisters, as believers, are you being stumbled by the wines of this world so that you're not redeeming the time? You spend your time watching sports all the time instead of having a life of prayer. Am I saying that you're condemned for watching sports? No, I don't put people under the letter of the law. But I also want to emphasize that these things can be so easily become a stumbling block and a focus where you put your time and energy and you're, they become an idol. When your time and energy is going all there instead of into a life that is seeking first the kingdom of God in a love relationship with him. But when we have that love relationship with him, we recognize the loves of this world are insignificant compared to experiencing communion with God, even the very kiss of his mouth towards us, with life, with the words that will bring life and strength to us in prosperity as well as in great trial. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name or thy being which is shown towards us is his ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Those that are pure in their heart towards God are not in love with the loves of this world. They are virgins and they love God because they experience the savor of his good presence in the spirit of God emanating from the love of God, which is the very being of Yahweh. There comes forth the presence of God in multifarious dimensions of beauty and love. Out of the integrity of this love, which is the holiness of God, emanates beauty. It says we are to worship God in the beauty that is of holiness. Out of holiness comes this beauty, the integrity of God's love that is severe against the loves of this world. And those that would be prey to these temporal things that he has created instead of recognizing him the giver and trusting him the giver to give them blessing in his appointed time, though at the time they may be experiencing trials. That is where we learn to turn to him and know that he can redeem us, that he can deliver us. And then we continue to read here, draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers, into the place of intimacy. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. We will remember who you are, Yahweh, your, your love. You're the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of reality, that is the very source of creation and of all beauty and of all good that created us with free will so that we could be brought into harmony with this amazing love. Yes, we will remember thee for who you are in your love, Yahweh. We will remember thy love more than the loves of this world. The upright love thee. 
So here's a secret. Those that love God are upright. What does this word upright mean in the original Hebrew? Well, I did a little teeny bit of a word study on it. And it basically means evenness, straightness. I'm not going to go into the details of it. Mishar. Mishar is the word. But those words in the symbolic letters are interesting. First you have here the uh, Yad, which is a symbol of worship and of activity. Then you've got the symbol of teeth, which speaks of pressure in order to cause something to be absorbed. Pressure. So you've got activity or work or worship. Pressure towards priority. Towards what is the real priority? Those that are upright are straight. This is the word that is used for the word straight. To be pulled tight is straight. We are those that are straight with God. We're not those that allow ourselves to be set deceptive in our heart before God. For he, we know that he sees and searches the heart and knows all things. So what is the point? And yet time and time again, people are that way. Before God and before others, they deceive themselves to think that God will justify them though they hold on to the wines of this world whatever those wines are. There are many. God is calling us to be those that pray this prayer, that we are those that are virgins that love thee because we've recognized the source of true fulfillment isn't in those things. They leave you empty. And so we pray this prayer, draw me, we will run after thee. Lord, draw me, I choose to run and pursue you hard. The king hath brought me into his chambers. See, the Lord will bring us into the place of intimacy when we seek him. And then we will be glad and rejoice in him. We will remember his love more than wine. And the upright, it says, love thee. I am black, but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. And this blackness can speak of someone that through the heat of the day has been put through or through the heat of trials has been made to experience the darkness. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. And this is speaking. You think of the brothers and sisters that persecuted Joseph and sought to kill him because they were jealous of him. But eventually they came to the place of seeing how evil and corrupt they were to have done what they did to their brother as they stood before him, the second one of Pharaoh in command. Oh, hallelujah. So they, as it were, came to a place of true repentance, of recognizing God's plan. He planned for Joseph to deliver them. 
It was love that was in Joseph for them to forgive him, to forgive them. And we should recognize this love of God when he could have judged us and poured wrath upon us because he's the one that is righteous in his judgments. And we are truly worthy as those were before Joseph. They were worthy to be executed for what they had done to him. And he forgave them and embraced them. And because they came to a place of recognizing their undoneness and their wickedness before God. God is calling his people in this hour to return to the genuine fear of God. And we read there in Isaiah about that. It says there in Isaiah about the fear of God. Um, and in one passage there, and I don't know, maybe it's not pasted in here, so I won't try to reference it at the moment, I don't think, because I don't know. I'll just see if I can grab it from Isaiah 50. But it talks about having the genuine fear of God. It says, who is among you, in verse 10 of Isaiah 50, that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice, voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name, in the being of Yahweh, which is love, and stay upon his Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet the children of Israel, many of them, they wanted to light their own fire. They wanted to go to other gods that would justify their wines, their temporal flirting pleasures, they would say, yeah, you can have all you want. You can satiate yourself in your own little things that you like. No, that's not the true God. God wanted them to let go of those things so that they could know genuine, deep abundance of life out of his love. Out of his love. And so here we are continuing Isaiah, or I should say in Song of Solomon here, hopefully. No, I ended up, I just got to go the other way here one sec. Okay, there we go. Um, as I continue to read this, so we do not look down upon those that are going through trials that God has forsaken them. In fact, those that are his children are those that are often chastened and do go through much trials. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. And so we may be put through a place of humility where we are made the keepers of the vineyards and, and cannot have the choice to be in control of our own destiny where we have the potential to do so many wonderful creative things. But God has his time, as he did with Joseph, to release us from that prison house. It says concerning Joseph, until his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. And it is true that after you have suffered a while, he will strengthen, establish, and settle you, as it says in, I believe it is somewhere in Peter. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? This one is saying, listen, I, I want to be the closest to you of anyone. So I'm asking you, Father, since I love you, 
I want to know the secret of you dwelling close with me. Where are you feeding? Where are you fellowshipping? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit fellowshipping with each other and with those that are close to him. I want to be there. And the Lord tells her, If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, if you do not know this, my corporate bride, then go forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. Find those that are true shepherds, that truly are an example, that are my shepherds. I think of people I can really look up to. Look at Brother Young and what he's been through, the heavenly man. I'm reading his book right now. The suffering he went through under the Chinese Communist Party before God supernaturally delivered him is amazing. I mean, they stuck needles through his fingernails, and the pain was so incredible, he left his body. It was so great. I mean, he was fasting up to 68 days without food or liquid because he was believing God to deliver him, and he did deliver him. And they beat him even during that time and tortured him even during that time. And somehow, God brought him through all that. Now, in the natural, it's not possible to do that. But he knew the fellowship of Christ's sufferings through all of that. But these are true shepherds. And then there's people like um, Heidi Baker, who's literally laid down her life as a martyr over and over again and going to Mozambique. And you hear her speak and you can sense the love of God in this dear woman. And there's others that we need to look up to. I remember Henry Groover was such a fearless man. If you look him up on YouTube and watch him share the amazing things that God used him to do are just so powerful. Now he's in glory. We go on and we read here, thy cheeks are coming. I didn't realize I was preaching so long here. It's, I try to keep it around a half hour. It's way beyond that. So I'll have to close this soon. And I'll just say this. Though I cannot continue going through all of Song of Solomon here to continue with this message, I will just read a bit more here. Thy cheeks are comely with rows of jewels, thy neck with chains of gold. I've compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses and Pharaoh's chariots. We will make thee borders of gold with studs of silver, while the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard, sendeth forth the smell thereof. We come to a place where we can sit with Christ in heavenly places. And as we learn to be in a state of worship throughout the day and all that we're doing, even in the busyness, we can be seated in heavenly places in the Spirit and begin to emanate the savor of Christ, the savor of life unto life to those that are being drawn by the Spirit of God to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and a savor of death unto death unto those that are enmity against God so that they shrink away and flee in terror from us because of the presence of God that emanates from us. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breasts. Oh, how wonderful to have God in communion in the place of rest that we find in him. How wonderful that as a corporate body of believers, God can find his resting place in our assembly. And I, am, I have written a book called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which you can get on Amazon, and it's an electronic book as well. My book on life after death is going to be even 
Oh, it's really amazing. But this book, well over, well, it's near, it's 270 some odd pages if I remember right, <clears throat> has in it everything you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ. From inhabiting your local assembly so that the darkness is broken over your city, over your community, so that people flee into your place to find Christ, as they did in the Welsh Revival. This needs to happen. The church needs to come into a new order that does not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting local assembly. It needs to become his house of prayer and holiness and repent of the loves of the world. And this book, I encourage you to get it to support me and also because you can then use this as a template to change your church to become what God is calling us to be in these last days. And believe me, we should never go back to being the church the way it is in this time of such serious crisis and tribulation that we are facing that is coming upon the face of the earth. May we be those that are ready, that are his corporate bride, where God can come and find his resting place, his living stones that are in habitation of God through the Spirit. And it describes the Lord as having dove's eyes. And truly, when we look into the face of the Almighty God in the Spirit, we will see his eyes of love. Those that have gone to heaven and died, like Dean Braxton, for almost two hours and come back, say that when they looked into the face of God, these eyes were so amazing that you would want to be there more than anywhere else in heaven and continually looking into his eyes. What you see in his eyes is incredible wells of life filled with love beyond anything that this dimension in this world could comprehend or describe. And our bed is green, and that speaks of the, the fact that in our communion with God, there is, a, there is life. Greenness re represents life. And in our communion, in our intimacy with God, there's the overflow of life and the power of his resurrection to raise the dead. And he creates a beautiful environment around us so that our beams of our house are cedar and our rafters fur. He shadows us with the wings of his presence and he builds around his people his habitation of glory. And he's wanting to restore his temple in these last days. Brothers and sisters, God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message on June the, no, not June, on July the 1st of 2022.